Hello and welcome to our series of podcasts on mental health interventions for refugee children. My name is Esther Schroeder and I'm a doctor doing research in refugee health at the University of Oxford. Across this series, we cover assessments, treatments and home and school interventions by talking to experts in these fields. This episode has a focus on post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. What causes it? What happens in the brain? Symptoms? And some simple ways you can help someone having flashbacks. I have talked to two clinical psychologists for today's podcast. Carrie Young is a consultant clinical psychologist and runs the Woodfield Trauma Service for Refugees with PTSD in London. And Dr. Katie Robjant is a consultant clinical psychologist specialising in working with vulnerable migrants in the Democratic Republic of Congo for Vivo International and the University of Constance. We'll start with Kerry talking about the three main groups of symptoms for people with PTSD. Kerry and Katie will then both talk about some of the types of traumas that people they work with have experienced. So, as you can imagine, refugees present with a variety of mental health problems. By definition, really, most of them have been through some sort of trauma, so it's it's unsurprising that they then you know, have problems with anxiety and depression. The most significant mental health problem that refugees tend to present with is post-traumatic stress disorder. And, the, you know, estimates vary somewhere between 30% and 50% of refugees, when they study it, seem to have PTSD. So PTSD is, well, as the name suggests, a condition that you get after you've been involved in a traumatic event. And there are sort of three main sets of symptoms that people have. And probably the most notable set of symptoms are what's called re-experiencing symptoms. So if you imagine really that someone makes like a video of their traumatic event, so say you're involved in a bombing of a city, imagine that you're inside your brain, you've made a, a video of that event, a recording of it. And in fact, it's not just a normal recording with sound and vision, like a normal film. It's a multi-sensory video, so it's got smell and it's got taste and it's got bodily sensations in it and it's got the emotions that you felt as well. After a trauma, people who have PTSD tend to re-experience bits of that video. So it might be like a small clip of that video, soundtrack and the, and the, the vision track, but it might equally be just a snippet of it for a second or two. And sometimes, again, it has the picture and the sound, or sometimes it's just the smell that you smelt of burning or the scream as the bomb exploded. It can be any part at all of that multisensory video. And it's as if the video has been kind of shaken up and bits of it come back to the person sometimes years later. And, and the, that's the re-experiencing symptoms. And that can either be during the nighttime as nightmares. People tend to wake up from these nightmares, sort of, you know, drenched in sweat, very afraid. Or it can be during the daytime as flashbacks. And then when people get those re-experiencing symptoms, the flashbacks, often they'll briefly at least think they're back there re-experiencing the trauma again, which is, of course, terrifying. So that's one set of symptoms of PTSD, and that's the sort of thing that marks it out, where people are re-experiencing as if it's happening again, the traumatic event that they were involved in. And then, understandably, they try not to think about it because it's frightening and overwhelming, so they push it out of their mind avoid anything that might remind them and those are the avoidance symptoms of PTSD 
And then there's this kind of battle then going on in someone's head between these re-experiencing symptoms and these avoidance symptoms, trying to push it out. And so they're kind of quite sort of hyper aroused. They're jumpy. They're on the lookout for signs of danger. They can't concentrate. They can't sleep. And those are the third set of symptoms, the hyper arousal symptoms. So you've got these three sets of symptoms. But, you know, normally the way I think about it is these sort of clips of this video, multi-sensory video of what's happened coming back and, you know, taking someone back to the past in in a truly sort of terrifying way. So we've got 50%, up to 50% of refugees, of, of all refugees coming to the UK will be having these symptoms. But of course, they haven't just been involved in one traumatic event. Most uh, refugees have been involved in many. So, for example, in the service that I work in, we ask them about the different types of trauma that they've been involved in. So one type of trauma might be a bombing, another type might be imprisonment, another type might be torture, another type might be seeing someone murdered. And on average in in our service, they've been involved in nine different types of trauma. And then for each type, there might be many examples. So, you know, most of the people that we see will have been through years of different traumatic events all of which, or some of which, might be coming back to them as flashbacks or nightmares. In terms of the children that I meet in my work in Democratic Republic of Congo, I'm working with survivors of sexual and gender-based violence, and also we have a second project with former child soldiers, as well as with adult former combatant groups and adult SGBV survivors, I should say. And within within our work, what we see is very complex, very high levels of trauma. And many of the people who are living in this setting in, in Congo have experienced multiple and very extreme trauma. So this is an area of the world which has been uh, an area of conflict um, for decades um, and is still insecure and where there are multiple rebel armed groups operating and rates of sexual gender-based violence are very high as well as other violence. And so the cases that we tend to see have usually very high rates of post-traumatic stress disorder by the time that we see them, very high symptom loads. And when you when you ask about their histories, they've usually experienced a significant amount of trauma and have also witnessed a huge amount of trauma. So as well as their own experiences, they've seen attacks on other members of their communities, local villages, and often to their parents and to other families that they know. So what we know from research from within our research group, the more traumatic experiences that a person goes through in their life, the more likely it is that they will develop post-traumatic stress disorder. There is a building block effect, which means that one trauma loads on the next till the point where it's almost inevitable that someone will experience symptoms which we would link with post-traumatic stress disorder. And amongst this group of children, including SGBV survivors and also former child soldiers that we work with in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in addition to the trauma symptoms and the psychological effects of this severe trauma that they've gone through, in addition to this, there's very, very significant high levels of stigmatisation. This, of course, not only increases a sense of shame, a sense of worthlessness and depression. In these kinds of settings where resources are scarce, conflict is regularly recurring, it's very important that people are able to rely on other community members 
actually just for survival. And so being heavily stigmatised is, is, is also a very significant danger uh, for people. And so in addition to the trauma symptoms which they're experiencing, as well as many other comorbid problems, depression, substance misuse sometimes, they also have to face this rejection and stigmatisation from the rest of the community. In terms of the former child soldiers that we're working with, they share a very particular pattern of exposure to trauma. So often abducted or forcibly captured when they were young, they usually have to go through some sort of initiation process or are taken to training camps, which usually includes not only being the victim of very extreme punishments, violence, but also being forced to perpetrate very severe torture and killings, including of those who they've been abducted with, so including other children who they were they were taken with. Following this, what we hear about are people being forced to perform various different roles within the armed group, which can include sexual slavery, often referred to as being the wife of a soldier, although in reality it's a picture of sexual slavery, otherwise being forced to fight or carrying munitions or cooking, caring for the soldiers. There are also some children who are involved in traditional healing or rituals for the rest of the adult members of the armed group performing rites and giving medicines which are supposed to keep the adult members of the armed group safe. These children who are selected to do this are often specially trained by someone who is considered to have this kind of special knowledge. So these children who are forced to act as sort of healers or perform rituals which are supposed to bestow these magical protective powers on the adult members of the armed groups. In order to be able to get to this stage, they're usually taken through a series of rituals themselves, which is supposed to train them in these practices. And we've heard very disturbing stories about children being sent off to find dead bodies following the battle, removing organs and taking these back to the people who are supposed to be training them who would then look at uh, look at these different organs and take specimens and use these in a ritualistic manner that is believed to protect the rest of the adult armed group. And these children were particularly disturbed by PTSD symptoms and other psychological difficulties arising from the trauma that they've been through, but also were very feared by the rest of the community. And, and often there was a tendency to keep these experiences secret you know, for fear of of being rejected by the rest of the community or further stigmatised. So, both Kerry and Katie work with people who have experienced multiple traumatic events of multiple types of trauma. How PTSD comes about is seemingly related to how the brain processes these traumas, as Katie explains. I think it's worth providing a a very basic understanding of what PTSD and reactions to trauma actually are. So if I can give a, a sort of simplistic overview of this, I think it can really help to inform the understanding of some of the symptoms which follow from exposure to trauma. So simply put, when we experience a traumatic event, our bodies react in a manner which has evolved to keep us safe. So people usually have heard of the fight or flight response, 
which prepares our body to either fight off a risk or to run away from it. But this response also affects our brains and with it our memories for those specific traumatic events. So while one part of our brain, the amygdala, is working very effectively, another part of our brain, the hippocampus, works far less well under pressure. It stops working efficiently at all. And why is this important? Well, The amygdala is responsible for making strong associative connections between cues in the immediate moment of trauma. So let's imagine a man comes into a refugee camp with a gun and starts shooting. The amygdala, which is functioning very well under stress, if you remember, will connect the sight of the gun, the sound of the screams, the sight of blood, the man's face, his smell, their own fear and their own sensation of their heart beating all of these cues will be stored together in memory very strongly in an associative network. At the same time, the hippocampus is responsible for the time and place information which is stored in memory, and this is not working well at all. So when we have a reaction to a traumatic threat, the hippocampus stops working very effectively at all. And this means that the time and place information is not stored well together with the associative network. So all of the information about the senses, what someone saw, what they heard, what they smelt, their emotional experience, fear, their physiological experience, their heart racing, and the thoughts that they had, I'm going to die, he's going to kill me. All of this information is stored very, very well, very vividly. And the crucial information that is the time and place information is not connected with this memory. And what this means is that there is nothing to tell the person, this is not happening now, this was in the past. This did not happen to me right now as I'm remembering it in the classroom. This was in the refugee camp, it was another place. So this information about time and place, which puts the memory in the past, is not connected with the rest of the memory. That means there's nothing to tell the child, this is not happening now. And so when the person remembers the traumatic event of the man letting off a gun in the middle of the refugee camp, the child really experiences this very, very strongly, but without the time and place information. And so they feel this is happening again right now. And this is what flashbacks and nightmares and the other intrusive symptoms, as we call them, of PTSD actually are. So what this is, is the part of the memory for the traumatic event, which is stored very well, coming back vividly into the mind, but not connected with the crucial information that tells them this was in the past. In the rest of our series of podcasts, we're going to talk in depth about a few different therapies and interventions for PTSD. Before we move on to those, I'm going to very briefly outline one activity called grounding that can help someone having a flashback. Grounding is about making the person very aware of the present moment using the senses to help them when their mind is caught in the past. This can be through things like posters, calendars and sounds around the room to orientate them. An example of this in the UK might be posters of London or the radio playing British radio stations. Strong senses such as holding very tactile objects or certain strong smells can help as well. Something else that can be useful is to talk to the person about PTSD in a way that explains why their brain is having trouble with the memory. Kerry has a great example to demonstrate this. 
Another good way that people explain it is if you imagine that your memory store is a bit like a cupboard, like a lovely organized cupboard. So for example, I've got a cupboard uh, where I keep all of my um, bed linen and towels and stuff. And I've got the, the bed linen on the top shelf with the sheets and the pillowcases. And then in the middle shelf, I've got um, towels and things like that. So it's sort of organized. So that's a bit like our memory store um, in our brain. And then when you're involved in a trauma, it's as if someone's run up to you with this huge king-sized double duvet and it's absolutely filthy and it stinks. And they run up to you and they go, ah, put this in the cupboard, put this in the cupboard right now, put it away, put it away, put it away. And you go, oh my God. And you take it and you sort of stuff it in the cupboard and jam the door shut. Oh, it's gone, it's gone. And then as you walk away from the cupboard door, the door opens and the duvet falls out and the person goes oh my god oh my god oh my god oh it's disgusting quick quick throw put it back put it back put it back i can't look at it and you stuff it in again and you shut the door again and so on and every time you walk away it comes back out again and in the end what you have to do is stand with your back to the door holding the door shut if you want to keep the duvet in and i think that's what it feels like to have ptsd that you're trying to keep this overwhelming thing out of your mind but that actually you can't so the solution to this obtrusive smelly duvet popping out of the cupboard is of course to take it out and address the problem spread the duvet out maybe clean it a bit and then work over it and fold it up properly and neatly so it can fit in your cupboard the solution to the memory problem of ptsd is also similar and this we will talk about in our next episodes.